I'm laying in this bed paralytic and I'm laying there and in my heart I can't talk, I can't speak, I can't move, my hands are just plastered to the bed, I can't sit up, I can't do anything. The only thing I can do is move my eyes back and forth. And I said, God, if you even hear me, I need your help. In my heart, if you can even save somebody like me, I need your help. And I fell asleep. Two days later, I, I woke up with my foot tapping the end of a sheet at the end of my bed to the second hand to a clock. Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Tuesday, where you're going to hear a powerful testimony of God's grace revealed in human lives. Each Tuesday, you'll hear Pastor Adam interviewing pastors from around the world to share the mighty miracles that God has done in their lives to give you hope for yours. We share the stories of the men behind the messages you hear every other day on this podcast. Keep in mind that the free version only includes a portion of the whole testimony interview. To listen to the full version, use the links in the show notes to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Supercast.tech. Every dollar goes to supporting world evangelism. Enjoy today's Testimony Tuesday. Hello and welcome back to the VBPH Sermon Podcast, and you are here on Testimony Tuesday. You uh, have caught us here uh, a little bit sleepy, but nonetheless, we are ready to record another Testimony Tuesday, and uh, we've got a very special guest with us once again, Pastor Clint Butts from Waycross, Georgia. Welcome, and uh, thanks for joining the show. Thanks, man. I appreciate the opportunity to be able to be a part of it. Yes, well, uh, you have been a listener for some time, haven't you? Yes, sir. I've been actually uh, been a listener of the podcast, I believe, since it started uh, for a while. And then once it actually went for um, the World Evangelism, became a member. And when it started on the blast... And then went to VPHB, and yeah, so I've been been listening to you guys for a long time. Well, that just makes me feel all special inside. Thank you, <laughs> and th- thank you for uh, for making some time for us uh, to share your testimony tonight. So we have uh, crossed paths a few times uh, down there in the Jacksonville Pioneer Rally in Florida. So, um, but I- I'm excited to hear your testimony. And uh, so, for those who don't know you. Why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself and uh, share a conference-style testimony, what God is doing there in Georgia. Um, my name is Clint. My wife, Amy, and I, we live in uh, Pastor Church in Waycross, Georgia. We got launched out of the 2018 Bible Conference, uh, hit the ground running in 2019. Uh, we started getting our building. Uh, we had about 18 folks in our house when we first started. Uh, we got into our building. and. Uh, we were able, God opened the door for a 2,800 square foot building, freestanding, uh, with the option to rent to own after the first year. So we're actually in the process of buying our building. Um, even as a baby church, God's given us a, a, the freedom and the liberty to be indigenous. Uh, God's bringing some uh, wonderful, wonderful folks into the church, 
wonderful couples. Uh, we've had a couple different baptismals, uh, baptism services, uh, been teaching a deliverance class, had some fruit from that that came out. One lady's actually continuing to still come. Uh, God's really moving in her life and her marriage. We're believing God for her husband to finally turn around and come. We just been experiencing a lot of uh, church violation. Uh, people that are just been violated horribly by the church and they want something real, but they're, uh, they want to see, okay, are you actually going to show up or you're not? So I really do, uh, God's really pouring his spirit out upon our, our church and our city. And there is definitely opportunity in every direction. Praise God, man. And what is the size of Waycross, Georgia? Uh, about 16,000 people. And then uh, the surrounding city, there's another 15,000, 20 minutes down the street. Um, and then 12,000 in all directions around there. Yeah, that is a uh, not a large city. So, um, and what what was the church that you were sent out from? Stark, Florida. Uh, Stark has uh, Pastor Kevin Baker. Stark's got 5,200 people. So, uh, we got launched out of our uh, mother church. Uh, Waycross is the, a spitting image of Stark, just larger. Awesome. Well, um, we'd love to hear how you got to this, uh, this amazing place where God is using you. And um, in order to do that, let's go back to the beginning. Where, uh, where is Clint Butts from originally? Originally, I was born in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Um, South Phoenix. So I'm very familiar with Chandler area and me and my mom and my brother. Uh, we grew up there until I was about, about two and we ended up moving. Um, but I was born into a lot of rejection. So before I was born, my dad left, um, and said I wasn't his. So, um, I grew up with a lot of rejection or a lot of, a lot of resentment. Um, I was about nine years old before I've actually met who my dad and saw my dad for the first time. Uh, the only pictures I've ever seen of him growing up and moving everywhere were uh, of him sitting at a table with a bunch of drugs and buddies, and he wanted to smoke dope and chase women and didn't want to be a dad. And um, so, I mean, I grew up in a lot of ways of uh, hating men, hating leadership. So I just, it was me and my mom and my brother, we moved around everywhere. And my mom was very religious to say the least. Um, she had the uh, verbiage, she had the words, the right mechanics of Christianity, but she lacked the heart and the discipline to be able to do it. So I went from Arizona to Kansas. We lived in Kansas for a little while. Then we moved to North Carolina. I moved, lived all around different places in North Carolina growing up. Um, but, uh, it was just the childhood that I had, um, when my grandmother passed away, uh, her husband ended up marrying my mom. And so it went from grandpa to dad. So it really jacked me and my brother up mentally. And, uh, that's strange. And so, I mean, it was one of those, Hey, I'm here to console you, but it ended up opening up. Um, so in turn, I learned a lot from him because uh, I worked with him, uh, learned how to do a lot of different plumbing issues and trade work and everything else. Um, but again, 
I had a very standoffish relationship with men. So I didn't really like men. Uh, I didn't really fall under leadership. Um, played sports, but even then, uh, I was not the one that I was the jokester. I wanted to make everyone laugh. Um, it really wasn't, uh, played sports a little bit, but nothing major. And, um, so whenever we were growing up, we lived in Wilmington, North Carolina, um, right there off the coast of Carolina beach. And, uh, my mom came home to find my stepdad beating my brother over the head with a closed fist. And um, he was the type of guy that, I mean, me and my brother, we held a lot of bitterness towards him. Uh, I did for a long time, uh, even after I was saved. And um, we went to church every Sunday, but my nickname af afterwards was, you know, uh, butthole or a-hole or, you know, something that was derogatory. So. Um, it was a lot of verbal abuse growing up. Um, and it, even in that, even with the verbal abuse, me, I, I was never really able to defend my mom or defend my brother or even defend myself. And, uh, you know, finally we just got tired of it. He was the type of guy that said, you know, I want dinner on the table at six and no matter if I'm come home at nine, it still better be hot. So that's how I grew up. I didn't know anything else about it. I didn't really pay attention to it. So I thought that's what marriage was supposed to be. I thought that's how life was supposed yeah, to be. That sounds like, like toxic masculinity. masculinity. Yeah. So, and then in the same sense, he was very narcissistic. Um, he, he was very selfish and prideful. He really didn't care about me and my mom or my brother. So the first time I ever really saw my mom flip out, was that night she ended up loading me and my brother up. We lived in uh, a beach house for two weeks, and then we moved down to Florida. So from uh, my mom's, you know, growing up, I, I my mom started two businesses in Wilmington. Um, I was there as a young teenager, uh, young adult, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. Uh, nine years old, I met my dad. I started smoking pot at nine. Uh, started smoking and drinking at 10, started smoking cigarettes at nine, uh, just to kind of fit in with my brother, my stepbrother, and uh, out in Kansas. So I got into smoking a, a lot of marijuana, doing a lot of different drugs. Uh, but before we actually left, we were really involved in the church. And um, was in, in, we grew up in a charismatic church. So, you know, running with banners and, you know, just acting a fool, whatever else. But I wanted to do something for God. I, I knew there was had to be more to Christianity than what there was. I knew there had to be more to Christianity than just what I saw at home. And so at nine years old, before I started really running from God, um, an evangelist came and gave me a word that said, God's going to use you as a Pied Piper of men and people. And I'm looking around, I'm like, who are you talking to, man? I'm a nine-year-old kid. Who am I? I can't do anything. And um, came down the platform, laid hands on me, prayed for me. First time I ever got slain in the spirit uh, as a kid. I woke up, 
and uh, I ran as fast as I could from God. Because there's no way mm. God can use a kid like me to reach anybody. But I began to go down in this spiral of rebellion and anger and hatred and uh, got really bad into drugs. Do you think that that was a response to that word that you got or was it uh, just circumstances you were in? Just circumstances. And it, I mean, in regards to that word, it scared the hell out of me. It really did because I, I looked at my life and I said, you know, as jacked up as I am, what I deal with at home, how can, how can a, a loving God use me at that time? And I, you know, I ran from everything. That's what I, I mean, that's what I grew up with. And, um, you know, my mom, every, you know, it wasn't every two years, it was every five years, you know, she went to college, she was in nursing, you know, my entire life. So when the job opened up, we moved. By the time I was 14 years old, I was in seven different elementary schools and middle school. You know, so, I mean, to be able to just up and move was easy for me. So to run was very, you know, um, second nature, I guess. And um, so I, I went down this dark spiral. Um, we ended up moving, coming down, moving down to Lottie in Stark, Florida. Uh, for a little while, with living with my aunt got even worse um, just because I wanted the attention of my mom that we never got. My mom would go to work at six o'clock in the morning or, you know, eight o'clock in the morning. And we wouldn't see her until 645 in the morning. And me and my brother raised ourselves. Because she was at school and then she was at work. So. And for this time frame, you know, this spiral and everything else going on, um, you know, I, I grew up with my mom in the medical field. So I understand, I understood a lot of the medical side of helping people. But I didn't have the heart to help anybody but myself. And um, so whenever I, I got through all that, we spent some time with my dad out in Kansas. and. Um, got worse and worse and worse. Uh, just, I built up really thick walls with people. So I would laugh and cut, cut the jokes and, and have some fun. And just to take the pressure off of what I was feeling inside. And the greatest lie that I ever told anybody was I'm fine. And, you know, and, just the junk in my mind, the mind battles, the rejection um, that I grew up with, and, and to be able to see the rejection um, in others now makes sense because, I mean, you can't preach something you don't know. But even in the same sense, you know, I grew up, I, I went through high school, I dropped out of high school in 10th grade to uh, go into military school. That That's the answer, right? Um, that's what I thought. And, uh, I wanted to go into the Marine Corps. My mom was ready to sign the papers to go in the Marine Corps. And, uh, yeah, that didn't happen. Um, 24 hours within going into boot camp, I walked off a military base, went AWOL. I was gone two and a half hours before anybody ever knew I was gone. Um, my mom picked me back up. She figured out where I was at. She took me back in. And uh, 
said that you got two choices. One, you can go back to here for six months and try to figure something out, or you can go to Sheriff's Boys Ranch till you're 18. I was 16 at the time. Kind of narrows down the options. I got out of, you know, I went through military school, learned a lot of basics. Yeah. Well, what do you think, what, what do you think it was that, uh, that you ran away from the military like that? Um, I didn't want the structure. I didn't want the discipline. I didn't want somebody yelling in my face, even though I knew I needed it. Um, you know, I, for somebody to look at you and say, you know, you're really screwed up. I don't need you to tell me that. I knew that to begin with. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Tell me you something know? I don't and know. And I mean, just, that. hey, thanks. Just kind of rub it in a little bit more. Um, but what made it worse is my mom ended up working at the daycare or at the uh, military school. She became the nurse of the military school. So not only was I hated by all the drill sergeants, I was hated by the cadets because my mom worked there. She was harder on me than she was on any of them. So, and I, I mean, my escape was, well, if I clean myself up, I, I'm at least doing better than I was. As a 16-year-old kid, buying drugs, selling drugs, living in the streets, if I would have ever got busted, it would have cost my mother her, her nursing license. But I didn't care didn't matter to me. And I mean, I it just, if I hurt anybody, it did, I didn't care. I, I, I would manipulate people to the point that it was, it became, became a game to me. And that's just how I grew up. And if, if I take the focus off me and put it on you, then I'm okay. Nobody's looking at me. So I just... I went into military school thinking that that was going to help. Got out of military school um, and got with the same friends, went down the same path, got back into drugs, got back into drinking, uh, living, you know, I mean, just being a whoremonger, man, and uh, just chasing women and smoking dope, going down the same generational path my dad did. And, uh, do you remember on, when you were on this dark road, do you remember ever having any moments of like clarity or conviction where God was speaking to you? Um, at the time, no. Now looking back, there's many times that I should have been dead time and time again. Um, I was 14 years old. Um, just me being stupid, me being a guy going to climb a tree. Uh, just to get away, uh, I was climbing a 60-foot oak tree and um, got almost to the top of it. I got a rope tied off, and I went to go step up on a limb, and the limb broke. Fell 55 feet out of a tree. The rope met me to the gr beat me to the ground, and about 10 feet from it, the rope caught, and then I just dropped into the leaves. There's no sticks anywhere around me for that rope to catch. The end of the rope met, beat me to the ground. But if I would have landed when I did, it had killed me, get hands down. But even in the, in, 
I mean, I know God's had a plan and a purpose for me since I was little. Um, didn't know it for the longest time. I was probably uh, 13 years old. My mom told me that whenever I was uh, about two, three years old, my brother bent me in a backward C and uh, tried to spell my name with my body. I turned completely blue, flatlined, um, took, rushed me to the hospital, uh, ended up coming back, you know, whatever else. And, um, but I never knew that. I mean, there's numerous times that, you know, I can look back now and go, yeah, God spared my life. Numerous times. I went to, um, whenever I left military school, I ran to, uh, my mom put me on a bus to Wichita, Kansas. Said, you want to act like your dad, you're going to go live with him. So now all the rejection of my mom put me on the bus and the disappointment on her face and the the heartbreak of seeing on her face that day. I went to Kansas just full of bitterness and rejection and uh, said, you know what, it doesn't matter anymore. But yet something in me at that point said, you know, you don't need to be running. But I ran anyway. I, from that point on, I left in 2001, or 2000, yeah, 2002, and um, from 2002 to 2006, I went down the darkest path I could ever go. I got into uh, oh, smoking. Oh, this gets worse, huh? Oh, yeah, it does. It gets a lot worse. Um, started making methamphetamines, started selling methamphetamines. Um. I smoked a quarter pound of pot in three days and a quarter ounce of methamphetamines in four. Went to work every day. I was 135 pounds, looked like a wet, I mean, just a skinny, skin and bones. Um, went to work every day. Rode a bike everywhere. Um, hated people. Couldn't stand people. I was paranoid. Um, but I had a good work ethic. I had a good, you know, I was nice to people, so I was a good person. And but something inside, I I had to stay high in order to run from what I was running to in my mind. If I didn't do that, I mean, the only time that I was never really under the influence of anything was whenever I was asleep. But for five years, I it was the darkest place of contemplated suicide. Um. The rejection overwhelmed to say, hey, nobody cares if I'm even here or not. Uh, my dad ended up giving me an ultimatum, said, you know, or my stepmom gave my dad an ultimatum, said either he goes or I go. I said, hey, I'll solve, I mean, I'll give you the, I'll save you the trouble, I'll leave. I lived with a roommate, I held him at gunpoint over, you know, over drugs. And we lived together for, I mean, we were buddies for five years. You know, and uh, just a dark, dark path. Ended up living on the street. Um, ended up getting pistol whipped in the mouth. Just, I mean, just off the wall things that, you know, you should never even see at 18, 19, 20 years old. Um, 18, I watched a buddy of mine die instantly after doing drugs. First time he ever did them, he fell over dead. 
had another buddy of mine. We went to go. Uh, we were just in a, in this farmer's field, man, doing something, and we were trying to uh, steal some anhydrous gas from him. He ended up cross-threading the fitting and blowing off his elbow because he he cross-threaded. Oh so as soon as he opened the valve, it blew his arm off. And uh, ended up dragging that him, having to drag him out of the field, and the guys chasing us through the field. I mean, just things that you would never think that you would ever sit back and go, "How did I get to this point?" OD twice, out, had alcohol poisoning by the time I turned twenty-one. Once, uh, the second time I OD'd, um, I laid paralytic in my bed for two days. Uh, oh my goodness. I couldn't move anything except for my eyelids. Uh, in 2004, I stayed awake 10 and a half months, slept a week and a half and 10 and a half months. Um, paranoid, just, if you looked at me wrong, I punch you in the mouth. I was filled with hatred and bitterness. And um, so whenever, I, the second time I OD'd, um, my roommate didn't come in. My buddies didn't come in. Nobody came in to check on me. Uh, I laid there, and in my heart, knowing who God was, knowing that I'm the furthest thing away from a relationship with God, but yet I've got the form, I've got the mechanics, I've got my Bible sitting on the on the top of the TV, open to a specific scripture. Wow. Threaten to shoot a, uh, a guy, you know, one of the buddies come in, he goes, hey man, you got note papers in the back of that Bible, right? Hey, I can use one to roll a joint. I said, you touch that Bible, I'll shoot you. And um, I said, don't, don't touch it. I said, don't. I had reverence for God's word, but didn't want to live for it. So mm -hmm. I'm laying in this bed paralytic and I'm laying there and in my heart, I can't talk. I can't speak. I can't move. My hands are just plastered to the bed. I can't sit up. I can't do anything. Only thing I can do is move my eyes back and forth. And I said, God, if you even hear me, I need your help. In my heart, if you could even save somebody like me, I need your help. And I fell asleep. Two days later, I, I woke up with my foot tapping the end of a sheet at the end of my bed to the second hand to a clock in the living room. My mind had clarity. My ears, I could hear through, a, I mean, through two sheets in a, a living room. Hear the cars outside. I had clarity in my mind. I could I had just a fresh view of life. And I didn't know where it was coming from. I set up, got my shoes on. I walked out of the bedroom and my buddy looked at me and said, whoa, he's alive. <laughs> I was like, wow. what are you talking about? He said, man, you've been, you've been asleep for two days. I said, you didn't care. You didn't think to check? No, I just thought you were crashed out, bro. I, didn't, I just left you alone. I was like, appreciate it. Went outside. I smoked. Uh, I was smoking cigarettes. I smoked two and a half cartons to three cartons of cigarettes a week. 
and I stepped outside to smoke a cigarette and something in me, as clear as I'm talking to you, Adam, so you need to go home. Wow. I said, I am home. No, you need to go home. I fought for two weeks with that voice. You need to go home. You need to go home. I don't care how you get home, but you need to go home. Finally said, I am home. Stop talking to me. And it said, no, this is not where I called you. You need to go home. And at that point, I broke. So home to you meant what? To me, home was where I'm staying at. Hey, look, I've always been told, and as guys, you're always told, hey, listen, home is where you hang your hat. Doesn't really, really matter. You know what I mean? Guys can live in a cardboard box and it really doesn't matter. But in the same sense, God said, listen, this is not where I called you. Go home. Called my mom. I said, hey, I don't know how I got to get home. Have no clue, but I need to come home. What's going on? I just don't ask questions. I just need to come home. So, okay, let me see what's coming on. Now, mind you, the whole time I'm in Kansas, living this prodigal son life of being a heat gun, my mom's here in Stark. My mom's the first convert in the Stark Church. Oh, wow. My mom's praying for me. Pastor Baker and Miss Fawn are praying for me. His son Taylor is praying for me. God, break him. Bring him to the lowest place you can bring him. Bring him back home. I didn't know any of it. So I'm there. She calls pastor freaking out. Clint just called and said he needs to come home. Pastor Baker said, well, get him home. What are you waiting on? So she bought me a plane ticket. The last time I drank was on the plane in 2006, August 7th of 2006. Going from Wichita, Kansas to Jacksonville, Florida. The two most disappointing times in my entire life was when my mom put me on the bus and whenever I walked off the airplane back in Jacksonville Airport. Because I stood 15 feet away from my mother and she didn't recognize me. Mm. Unbelievable. At that point, my mom said, I love you. And I said, let's go before I go to jail. People are looking at me. We can talk about it in the car. Let's go. The last time I did any drugs was August 7th, 2006. August 9th or August 8th, the Stark Church burnt down in 2006. Caught on fire. I wasn't even a guy in the church. Said, hey, listen, can you go help? Yeah, sure, not a problem. Went to go help. Watch guys that are no longer in the church today help load up one truck of all the stuff in the church to put it in a storage unit and go home. 
I'm a backslidden guy, doesn't want anything to do with God. I came home because something in me said, come home. We had a church service August 9th because of the church in the parking lot in a tent. I'm sitting in the back row, pastor's preaching. He said, if you're not right with God and God's called you home, you need to come forward and God's going to set you free. I didn't want to raise my hand. I didn't think about raising my hand. My hand just went up. I walked up, <laughs> stood up, walked to the back of the platform. Had no idea what to do. Just fell on my face and started asking God to forgive me. From that day forward, it was probably a year and a half before Pastor Baker actually told me what he prayed while I was in, being stupid in Kansas. God, bring him to the lowest place you can bring him that the only thing he can do is look up to you. Remove everything else. Between two times of ODM, getting robbed at gunpoint, pistol whip, jumping from trains and cars, just being stupid. If I would have stayed where I was at, six months later, my butt, a friend of mine from Kansas called me and said, if you'd have stayed here, you'd have been dead yesterday. Because the, our friend's house that we always went to got raided by the task force. He got busted with live ammunition, fully automatic weapons. He said, and I know you, you would have died that day because you'd have grabbed a gun and started shooting. Wow. He said, so I'm glad you left. To where I, I watched my pastor. Here's a man that hold, is his yes is yes and his no is no. Here's a man that has six kids and they're striving to live for God. Not perfect, but he's a good husband. He's a good, you know, he's a good dad, but he's also, he's a man of his word. And I gleaned on that and I got close to that. And I said, you know what? This is something I, I never had before. So in the same sense, you know, I said, you know what? I want to, I want to do this. So I started cutting things out of my life. I was bound in pornography as a center. Hey, Clint, Clint. Be, before, before, uh, I, I, man, what I'm just totally compelled by what you're saying here. But I, I'm just curious about one thing before you move forward. When you were there, living in Kansas, and you were living this reprobate life, really, um, do you can you remember um, if if there was any tangible sense of like demonic strongholds, like keeping you from doing what you wanted to do? Oh yeah, do you ever remember anything like that? Um, the, the biggest one was methamphetamines, the drug addiction, the rejection. I pushed everybody away from me. Rejected people, reject people. I isolated myself from everyone and said, you know what? I don't, I don't want anything to do with anybody. 
my mom would call me on the phone and she said, Hey baby, have you found a church? I said, no mom, I'm not looking for a church. Hey, just know I love you and I'm praying for you. I don't care what you do, mom. I love you too. Bye. Bye. And then all of a sudden it stopped. She would call me on the phone. She would ask, Hey, how are you? So mom, you know how I'm doing. I said, I'm fine. I'm working doing whatever I need to do. Okay. I love you. And that was it. She never asked about a church. She never asked about living for God. She never said anything else. At that point, I knew something changed in my mother. My mom's go-to was a religious comment. But at that point, I knew something shifted, something changed in who she was as a Christian. I didn't know what. I couldn't put my finger on it. But I knew something changed. But what I do know about my mother growing up is my mother taught me and my brother how to pray. We taught, I mean, she taught us how to listen, how to just isolate everything out and listen for the voice of God. And it wasn't under any delusion on why, when she stopped, I got worried. Because I knew what she was doing. Because I knew my mother was praying. And the only reason why I'm alive today is because she prayed then. So what you're saying is that you think that she stopped trying to push you or manipulate you to do something that you she knew you didn't want to do. And she just took that concern to God instead. Oh, she released it straight to God. She said, God, I can't change him. I can't fix him. But you called him. You've anointed him. You grab him. And she released me to God and said, God, you deal with him. Well, right there, you're, you're going to have to encourage some people because there's no doubt in my mind there's going to be people who hear this, that they're hearing your story and whether whether or not the people they love and care about are as deep into their sin as you were or not, there are parents of kids who are prodigals. There are loved ones who have left churches. There are disciples who are gone wayward. And, you know, this is, this is an ongoing struggle for people of God. Uh, how can we, how can we influence them or how can we do what God has called us to do? And what I'm hearing from you is <laughs> it's just as matter of putting it in God's hands and tr trusting him fully. Is that what you would say? A lot of it is, is we stand in the way a lot of the times. When we pray, we want to grab a hold. We want to, we want to release them to God, but we want to stay connected to them. And a lot of the times we hinder what God's trying to do. So whenever my mother turned me and said, you know what, God, you deal with it. She completely moved out of the way. So, with, you know, and even the story of the prodigal son, the father knew. The father knew. And listen, hey, go do what you need to do. God's going to bring you home. And in turn, most of us today find ourselves acting like the brother and not the father. But yet in the same sense, listen, 
if I could say anything to those that would hear this, if you have loved ones, sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, even converts in the church, move out of the way and let God grab a hold of them. Our job is to pray and contend for God to move. We cannot fix them. God has to bring them to that aha moment. Wake them up in the pig pen and say, you need to come home. But if we can't faithfully pray, we're going to always stay in the way. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. When, when, when we're doing anything less than trusting in God, then we feel like we have to get involved and we have to do our part. And uh, often we just end up making things worse by trying to manipulate the situation or, you know, trying to be nagging influence and, and, um, listen, only God is able to change hearts, right? We know that. And, um, the, the way that God changes hearts, by the way, is by showing his patience and long suffering towards us as Romans Three, it's uh, it's the goodness of God which leads us to repentance, which is totally opposite from the way we try to change people, right? I mean, we want to knee jerk, we want to get in the way and Bible beat them or whatever else, but um, we just get out of the way and let God move. Thank God. Uh, I want to hear a little bit of backstory about Pastor Baker and how your mom uh, found herself being the new, first convert in his brand new church. So whenever they started the church um, in 2001, they were doing the building project. And uh, my mom lived in an apartment right behind the church. And they were playing music. She worked third shift. You know what I mean? She was trying to sleep during the day. They're building and banging and playing music. So she walks down there and she says, uh, can, you pl- can you please, who's the pastor of the church here? Can you please stop playing music? I'm trying to sleep. I understand what you're doing, but can you just stop? When she left, Pastor Baker looked at Pastor Meyer and said, that's going to be my first convert. That's hilarious. (laughs) Walked around. My mom came to service, two or three services, and I think the third service she ran outside. Pastor left, and he, you know, he walked outside. It was just, you know, really her in, in service. Said, hey, where are you going? She stopped on the sidewalk, and she said, listen, I need covering. I need to be covered. I need somebody to tell me I need to be. I, I, the Bible says a woman needs to be covered spiritually. And I'm asking you, would you be my spiritual covering and I'll never leave you? He said, absolutely. He said, absolutely. He said, I don't have a problem with that at all. That's a, that's a unique uh, witnessing He said, experience. I don't have a problem with that at all. You stay close to my wife. You come. We'll have some fun. You'll, you'll watch God move. And my mom's been there 20 years. 22 years. That's amazing. And, um, but it was just something real. My mom found a realness in the church. She found a realness in pastor and, and uh, in their marriage and their relationship. And he wasn't perfect, but he, he lived what he preached. 
and he encouraged her to do the same. He had a heart for people, and uh, and that's what she saw. That's what she gravitated to because at the end of the day, people want something real. And that's really what the fellowship gives is the realness to this religious world that we live in of just real people serving a real God with real solutions. The first concert they did, my mom played bass guitar or played electric guitar. A little three-chord turnaround, and that was it, and they had a concert on the sidewalk. I mean, who'd ever thought? But for my mom to do anything longer than four years constantly is a miracle. My mom would move, she'd pack up her stuff after four years, and she'd go. Didn't matter where she was going, she'd just go. So for her to be there 22 years is God moving. Wow, that's a, that's incredible. So um, we're, we're already, I can't believe it, we're already 40 minutes into this thing, and <laughs> I'm just totally enthralled by this story, man. Um, but uh, what we want to do is... We're gonna we're gonna say goodbye to our free listeners and uh, hear the rest of the story on the other side. I want to ask you about your new convert experience and your um, discipleship process and how God began to speak to you. And uh, obviously, there is a there is a Mrs. Butts involved somewhere along the way here. We need to ask about her, and uh, we want to we want to hear how you were called into the ministry and how you got eventually to Georgia. But if you want to hear all of that. Uh, you got to go hit the subscribe button and, uh, it's three bucks a month. If you get, get over there on supercast or in Spotify, you can also go to Apple if that's easier for you. Uh, it's a little bit more because of the processing fees there, but, uh, either way, uh, as soon as you do subscribe, you have access to not only this podcast, but our growing catalog, uh, sermons and interviews going back. And uh, so we do appreciate you being along for the ride for this portion. And if you are a premium subscriber, we will be right back with the rest of this interview. Thank you, Pastor Clint Butts. We appreciate your time, sir.